calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Here's a quick question for you. How did you sleep last night? If your battle for a good night's sleep feels relentless, I have the answer. It's a podcast called Sleep Wave with meditations and hypnosis created to help you fall asleep. My relaxation techniques will help you feel calm and ready for sleep with soft music that will help you fall asleep in minutes. Most listeners never hear the end of an episode. So search Sleep Wave on your favorite podcast app and find out why over a million people have fallen asleep to my voice. Lickety splits just for lesbians. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the name of a new gay bar in LA. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, I'm opening it now. That actually is a good name right? for, a, for a lesbian bar. Yeah. Oh my God, somebody get on that. I'm diking out, you're diking out. Let's dike out together. See what it's all about. Diking out! Hi, and welcome to Diking Out, a queer podcast that is ripe for some fan fiction. So get on it, listeners. <laughs> I'm Carolyn Bergier. And I'm Sarah York. And today we are in Los Angeles, diking out with screenwriter and author Britta Lundeen about young adult content. Ayo. Britta wrote for the CW's Riverdale, so cool, uh, and is the author of the very popular YA book, Ship It, uh, about a gay teenage fan fiction writer. Britta, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's so good to be here. It's so exciting to have you here. This is our first time recording in LA. It is. It's fun. I love it. Yeah. A lot more sunshine here. It's hot. I'm into it. Yeah. A lot less like subway noises. Yes, for sure. And screaming. Less screaming. The air feels breathable, although you can you can see the air here, but I still feel better about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've, uh, I've been in LA for a few days now, so I've been like on the West Coast doing some shows. I did um, Portland and Seattle, and uh, LA is definitely a different uh, change of pace than those two cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I noticed is that in Portland, there are a lot of lawn signs, but they're all like very positive. Like oh, they'll just say like- Just encouraging lawn signs? Yeah. It's like, you matter, you're enough on really? one lawn. Wow. Yeah. Just like very- That's like, incredible. White background, um, sans serif font, uh-huh. very clean. 
uh, sure. encouragement. Um, just also things about like love and positivity. And then I, they smoke a lot of weed up there. I think, I think do. that's gotta be what it is. They're <laughs> just running on positive vibes yeah. and weed. And, uh, and then I go to my Airbnb here in LA and the next door neighbors. <laughs> it's got a sign that says like, fuck off. <laughs> Almost. It says, if you're close enough to read this, that means our sniper can drop you. Oh my God. What? <laughs> that, okay. Can we just, that like, really took a turn in the middle. Cause I thought you were going to say, if you're close enough to read this, you're, you're get off my lawn or something, you know, like some smart assy little like no. bumper sticker comment. Our sniper. Our sniper so can drop you. That's an open threat. <laughs> it to be is. shot in their yard. Also, it says a lot about like, one, that the person who lives there is very paranoid and then very two, aggressive. They have a high power rifle. Yeah. Uh, and the combination of those two is very yeah. unsettling. Yeah. Right. Especially I, in this country. Yes. I, I like our sniper. Like they just have him on retainer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's just up there on the roof. He works for us. Yeah. He's cool. Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's got other gigs going on. They uh, they have an interesting property. I peeped a little bit. They have like a side yard instead of a backyard. Mm-hmm. And I, I looked into it and there was this giant banner, like a, something that would be like hanging in the mall for Memorial Day. But it <laughs> says on it, um, depression isn't a sign of weakness. It just means you've been strong for too long. Uh, so, so I'm just getting so I'm many mess- mixed messages from these people. Mm. Yeah. Because that's like a sort of nice sentiment. I think the wording is weird on that, but I, I feel like it's, it's somebody not who, as aggressive who as thinks the, it's, we're going to shoot you if you don't get away from the sign. I think it's a person who struggles with the idea of masculinity and what that yes. should be. That's, yeah. That's and it's the, like, I don't know how else to, to feel my feelings other than putting them on signs and putting them in my yard. <laughs> you know, I got too excited to talk about, this uh, awesome sign that I forgot to mention. September 30th is our next show at Stonewall. Uh, (laughs) Our lineup, we're going to have Lois Thompson from our Apocalypse episode, uh, Paris Sachet, Liz Glazer, uh, and Jessica Kirsten, who is just like a powerhouse lesbian comedian. I'm so excited. I mean, I'm excited for everybody, but also I've never seen Jessica Kirsten live and I've been wanting to forever. Um, Also, if you're hearing this, I still have some shows left on the road in Chicago. So Chicago listeners, come see me. Go to cbcomedy.com and see where I'm doing comedy. Okay, back to (laughs) LA. Yeah. Um, Another fun thing I did was I went to the set of the show American Housewife. Wow, yeah. Do you know what that show is? Yeah. See, I feel like now I can't, I couldn't name five network TV shows. Oh, no, I couldn't. No way. But this one, I guess, has a lesbian character. Oh, well, I don't know it that well. I've okay. just sort of, you know, seen it. You know, it exists. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you live in LA, it's like billboards for these TV shows everywhere. Yeah. So yeah. that's how. Yeah. You just have a generalized awareness. Yeah. That's like. <laughs> kind of like our subway ads. I know if something's coming up because there's, like, there's an ad in the subway for it. Yeah. But I don't look any further into that. I'm like, I've seen a two dimensional advertisement for right. the show that's what i know you've about made a it. series of assumptions based yeah. on that one yeah. image someone oh. drew a dick on it i'm assuming that has nothing to do with the show or the plot <laughs> or this person might. obviously doesn't know what the show is about <laughs> apparently in the uh the pilot episode of the show there is a uh woman on woman kiss but it's like a stunt kiss mm. but but one of the characters is 
queer. So uh-huh. I don't know. I'll have to investigate. But my friend works on the show. So I got to go on the set and hang out and watch a shoot. And Jessica St. Clair is on it. Uh, oh. Who's very funny and talented. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It was a very fun cool. L.A. thing to do. They brought yeah. an ice cream truck to set. Hell yeah. I had a nice ice cream. I'm That's living the life. I love own. that. Yeah. You're living the dream out here. I am. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, can't wait to get back to New York, though. Yeah. No, this is good, but I have so much anxiety around, like, driving mm-hmm. and parking. It's the worst. I, I drive just enough when I'm out here to, like, have a little bit of fun with it. Like, I kind of like it. Like, my girlfriend's car is, like, basically a little go-kart. Yeah. And I just like to zip it around. Yeah. But the slightest bit of traffic just gives me, I can, like, feel my my heart just comes up into my throat. And I'm like, ugh, I hate this so much. It's the worst. What kind of car is it? Is it's it a, a Yaris. Ho- oh, okay. I was going to guess a Honda Fit because I feel Everybody like that's a very lesbian car. Oh, yeah. My yeah. wife has a Honda Fit. Yeah. It's the official car of Los Angeles. That and yeah. the, uh, but, but a Yaris is also one. very yeah, gay. Yeah, the there's a lot of, there's a lot of Yari here. Yeah. <laughs> Yarises, I don't know. <laughs> I think when you live in LA, you learn to like embrace the traffic and it yeah. becomes like, you know, part of your daily routine. Like for me, it's like, this is a time, it's like almost like a meditation time, which right. is yeah. really exactly what you should be doing while driving. Yeah. yeah. Like a 2000 like, pound vehicle is like meditating. I'm just right. like free my mind real quick. Here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, think about the day, process the events. Mm-hmm. Like you can't be on your phone or you're not supposed to be on your phone. Yeah. So like you put that away and it's like not a time for Twitter. It's just a time for like it's just like Brita time yeah that makes sense I need a time like that if I could have any time away from Twitter I mean it would just free me from (laughs) this prison that I live in (laughs) but it it is true like you kind of get in this meditative state but then I freak out because I'm like what just happened the last 10 minutes like while I'm driving on the freeway (laughs) and I'm like I can't even remember like the last 10 minutes of my life like where did my mind like, go and oh my god I'm driving vehicles in front of me I know I'm driving I a know. car right now I'm going 60 miles an hour <laughs> and I have no idea what just happened <laughs> yeah uh, that is times. a fucked up feeling I've had that before but on the good side is like I processed work today yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's you know it's a balance that's great so what are you working on right now well I'm kind of like um, in between shows right now. I was working on Riverdale for like three years and mm-hmm. then um, at the end of season, like TV contracts are three-year contracts. So at the end of season three, I, I left to go like do other things. Yeah. And then I worked on this new HBO show called Betty, which is about like skateboarding girls. Yes. Oh, cool. Um, and we wrote the first season of that, which was like, Really fun, completely different from Riverdale. There's five main <laughs> skateboarding girls in the show, and at least two of them are queer, which was exciting. Yes. So, like, writing some cool queer relationships. Um, and then we just finished that, and they're off shooting it now, so I'm, I'm on a hiatus at the moment, doing cool things like going on podcasts. Nice. I love that. <laughs> we caught great. you at a good time. Yeah. Tell me about Riverdale. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've only seen, like, a little bit of it, but I'm also, like a big Pretty Little Liars fan and I just lump the two together that they're just like... I know it's about like hot high school people, right? Yeah, that's about it. Yeah. 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 (laughs) (laughs) The twist, they're all hot. It's like, it's like a, it's like a teen soap, but there's also crime in it. Yeah. So, like in the first season, there was a dead body. Murder. Yeah. And then in this, and they had to like solve that. And yeah. then in the second season, I mean, mild spoilers, but not really. There was a serial killer um, because every season you have to like up the stakes. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so Very then, much it, like Pretty Little Liars, I still don't know the difference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then in the third season, there was like a um, like a cult. Um, 
uh, called The Farm. And so, like, that just uh, up things even further. Okay, that's awesome. Um, and then I'm not on the fourth season, so I keep, like, texting my friends and being like, what are you like, guys doing happening? this? And they're like, tell we everything. can't tell you anything. So I, I don't know. But I can only imagine that there's going to be, like, death in space or something. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't know where you go from You there. have to go. You only have to literally just go up, like, yeah. into space. Literally. Or yeah. another planet or yeah. something. I Googled it to see if it was still, like, being made I didn't know if it was still running or not and then I was reminded that Luke Perry is dead and got really sad this morning. oh, oh yeah. yeah he was on that I totally forgot I that forgot he had that passed too. he played yeah. someone's dad I think, Archie's or, dad yeah. Archie's dad yeah oh, yeah that was really tragic he, yeah he was like he's kind of, I mean Riverdale the show is like full of um like sort of dark the, it's like about finding the darkness within but he played the one character who was like had a good heart and yeah. was a good person and was sort of unsullied by Riverdale's darkness um and not that that's the saddest part about him passing but he yeah. he was like actually like a very sweet man and and very kind and came about his work like in a thoughtful way and was always yeah. really nice to me and Aww. it was yeah really yeah. tragic yeah and he was so young he was in his 50s yeah, yeah. he was really young like 51 or something yeah horrible. Yeah. and I felt like that was you know a, a great like role for him mm-hmm. and yeah. a lot of people like a whole new generation to discover Luke Perry yeah <laughs> who hadn't you know, been around for, for 90210 yeah. right? and all yeah. that. He also had like a really, I think of him a lot because he had a really smart work ethic where like he's on the show, but he's not on the show that much. He's in like two seasons, I mean, two scenes per episode maybe. Um, Same and for the parents on Pretty Little Liars. Yeah. Just like, where are the parents? <laughs> um, he was like not someone who like, he had already been super famous, like maybe the most famous yeah. actor possible. For at, sure. Like the at, show, yeah. at the at at the peak of his fame. And he like didn't need that anymore. He just wanted like a nice, healthy balance between working and seeing his family and like coming back to LA and spending time with the people he loved. And I always think about that when I'm like, you have to work, you can't stop working. You're like driven and you're driving mm-hmm. yourself crazy and you're never seeing I'm like never seeing my wife and I'm never going home and petting my dog because I'm working all the time. I just yeah. think like Luke Perry kind of had it figured out, man. Yeah, yeah. he really did. Oh, sorry to be That's a downer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then there's there's queer stuff though on Riverdale. Yeah, hell yeah. Yeah, talk about that a little. Um, so in season two, we introduced a character named Tony, who's sort of like a she's like in the gang, the Southside Serpents, and she like rides a motorcycle and wears leather jackets a lot. Oh my god, this is awesome. Uh, and she's like from the comics and canonically bisexual. So she's bisexual on the show, and then. Um, we had like sort of been wanting to make one of our main cast queer through season one. And we had talked about a couple different characters and didn't, and finally landed on Cheryl, who's sort of like popular and bitchy and always looks immaculate and like always has something like cutting to say about everyone. But that's my type has a, like a heart of gold underneath, you know? <laughs> Um, and so we we're like, it would be amazing if she was queer. And so we made in season two, she sort of comes to terms with her own like lesbian identity and starts dating Tony. And now like they're this power couple, Choney, uh, <laughs> Cheryl and Tony. Uh, and they're they're like kind of their chemistry is amazing. Those two actresses are like best friends in real life, which I was like, I think that would be weird for me to like make out with my best friend on TV. Uh-huh. But they're like pros at it. And they're yeah. like, that's to- so cool. Totally committed. Yeah. That I reminds that. me of um, on Glee, Santana uh-huh. and Brittany was kind of like a little bit of that dynamic. And also like in real life, they were pretty tight, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Um, I always think it's fitting when uh, a character who's bitchy comes mm-hmm. out as gay. It's like, yeah, 
Yeah, no, I've I probably rem- I remember I've, cutting I've people down to people. feel yeah. better about myself oh, I when I was right. in a closet. Phase like that too. Yeah. <laughs> right. The closet is a very destructive place in yeah. that way, for sure. <laughs> right. Are you um were you the only queer person in the writers' room? Well, no, but I was the only queer woman for okay. for a while, and now there's someone else. But um, but the showrunner Roberto is gay, and then there's a couple other gay men in okay, the writers' cool. room. So that was nice. It felt like there was a lot of like trust, and it would have. Su- I mean, Riverdale was my first show, and it would have sucked to get your first show and then walk into a room full of straight people. Would have mm-hmm. that's like kind of a nightmare because you're like work so hard to become a TV writer and. You have to sort of take all these terrible jobs before you can get to the place where you get to be a TV writer. And sure. you kind of would take whatever job fell in your lap first yeah. because yeah. you're like so eager to do it. And the fact that uh, Riverdale got to be my first job, a show that like I otherwise would have been probably obsessed with and like, yeah. Um, yeah. really into. And also had like all of these queer people in the writer's room was like it felt like a safe place to where I could be myself and I didn't have to like... Mm-hmm. You don't have to, like, explain concepts to a bunch of straight people. Like, okay, here's why this makes sense for this queer character. Yeah. Because I feel like you can always tell as a viewer when you're watching a queer storyline go down and you're like, a straight person wrote this. Right. Obviously. Yeah. (laughs) Which has been a lot of our content of what little content we've gotten over the years. Yeah. Maybe not not so much recently, but, like, you can tell when straight people are writing stories for queer people. It's just obvious. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, I don't know. I I don't know if it's the same for, like, if a queer person's writing a straight story, I think we're we're better at writing straight stories than they are at writing queer stories. Oh, for sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah. I think I have a pretty good handle on, like, straight culture. Yeah. <laughs> I could brush up with it pretty quickly yeah. if I had to. <laughs> yeah. The first episode where Cheryl and Tony kiss for the first time, that they, the, I got to write that episode, um, which was amazing. And I think that Partially they assigned it to me and this other writer, Brian, because they knew that like it was something that I cared very deeply about mm-hmm. and was obviously oh, yeah. obsessed with in the writer's room was like always pitching Cheryl stories. Yeah. Um, but they also, I think, knew that that meant that I would be on set and I would be present for the filming of that kiss. And it was like I had so much... Uh, energy focused on making sure that kiss looked good and didn't look like two straight girls kissing each other. Mm, yes. Like I wanted it to feel passionate and real and authentic. Yes. And we had a lot of conversations about the kiss leading up to it. And then when we finally shot it, I was like gripping the monitors, like staring directly into the the viewfinder and like being like, this better look good. This better look good. Like yeah. everything my career is built to this moment <laughs> yeah. of like these these women kissing each other and then it looked fantastic and I was like overjoyed and I was so excited and we shot it like 12 times you know yeah from all these different angles and every time I was like oh they're so committed they're like willing to go again none of this is weird I can imagine shooting this like 20 years ago and everyone would be like really weird about it and it would be awkward but it was like fine that's That's amazing I love that that's so cool and it's also so true that like you can tell Yes. When it's like two straight girls. I mean, making out, like to, th- there's a difference. Yes. There and is. to be able to like write it in a way and hope that the actors can, can find that place where mm-hmm. there is chemistry yeah. and desire in yeah. the shot is so important. So you're not getting the like Selma Blair, Sarah Michelle Gellar kiss <laughs> from Cruel Intentions <laughs> where it's like, I mean, which was all I had as a 13-year-old, but in hindsight, it I mean, wasn't I'll like, still watch no it. chemistry yeah. there. Yeah. I will still watch that for sure, but yeah. there was no, like, palpable chemistry in the way that it can it can be done. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, in the ideal world, you want two queer actresses kissing mm-hmm. each sure. other. Um, and failing that, I mean, we were failing that. You want a, like a queer writer on set, like obsessively making sure yeah. that yeah. kiss looks real. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> giving it like the, sp- the full like Spielberg treatment. <laughs> yeah, again, do it yeah. again. <laughs> we need another million dollars in the budget for this. <laughs> I mean, you know, who who better to be an expert on? Uh, queer kissing scenes than like you know we've all watched all of them on youtube a million times yeah we know every single one of them for the last 20 years so (laughs) yeah that's so great i love it so uh you are a young adult author yeah how did you get into that well kind of like ass backwards uh Mm -hmm. i had written a a screenplay called ship it which you mentioned which is like about fan fiction and comic-con and like yeah um feeling gay feelings about straight tv shows and um i had hoped to like make it as a movie and then there was so much there's just like so much energy around ya in just the last like five years yeah that um a publisher reached out and was like, we read your screenplay and we loved it and we think it should be a book. Do you want to write that? And I was like, fuck yeah, I love YA books. So I wrote it as a book and now it came out and, and you know, who knows, it, it could become something after that. It could be go back to being a movie or become a TV show or something like that. It would be very exciting. Yeah. Um, but as a result, like I have dedicated so much of my time to becoming a TV writer and understanding the TV landscape. And now I'm also in this world of like YA publishing and understanding what it takes to make a book happen and meeting all these other authors. And the YA world is um, such like an exciting, like vibrant place and a really queer place Mm -hmm. right now, like more than ever before. I found some statistics that in uh, 2018, uh, 108 LGBTQIA young adult books were published by mainstream publishers and 56 of them are about cis queer girls, which is a 522% increase from 2009 when only nine were published. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So it's definitely something that there is a higher, I mean, I'm sure sure the demand has always been high, but maybe something that, uh, you know, publishers weren't willing to acknowledge. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and then once they start coming around, you know, it's the same like the movie business too, right? Where like, finally they give people who aren't like straight says white people a chance to create something and they realize, Oh, we made a shit ton of money off of that. Yeah. Oh, I I think this works. Like, I think these people want these to exactly like movies like black Panther and get out and like, like from these direct from Jordan Peele, I guess. But like, it just it's so funny once these industries catch up like way down the road and yeah. then all of a sudden it's like a windfall of these stories that come out. It's really cool. And I think that YA YA to me just like I think it feels inherently queer, right? Like it's just <laughs> it just is. Like I felt like I felt like Hunger Games was a I just got queer vibes from Katniss Everdeen. Yeah. Like I could I I I didn't like believe the romantic yeah. connection with her. The love triangle. Like, yeah, like, you're try- trying to decide between those two dudes. Yeah, yeah. sure. Like the bread maker. Sure, Katniss. <laughs> you and your fucking bow and arrow. Like, yeah. come on. I just feel like girl, girls in YA stories, to me, yeah. just exude this kind of queer, cool energy. Yeah. Do you think it's because in YA, um, maybe women aren't as, like, overtly sexualized in a way that... I don't know. This is mm-hmm. just something I'm I'm throwing out. It could out. be that like that that doesn't like get as like graphic about those 
Yeah. Details. So then it's easier for us to be like, oh, they're not really into those guys because it's not talking about like their dicks. Right. You know? Yeah. Right. So it, it, it's like a, a smaller bridge to like, oh, she really has the, the hots for that other lady. Yeah. 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 I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I think, and also I think that in YA there's this, uh, like a, a trope of the, of the, female like plucky female adventure seeking hero that you just don't get in like adult movies mm-hmm. like Indiana Jones gets to be that but there aren't a lot of female versions of Indiana Jones but there's like a hundred teen uh yeah girl Indiana Jones versions right right and they're all in a dystopian like kind of England yeah <laughs> it's always like a vaguely European like yeah dystopian kind of thing yeah yeah i mean the exciting thing is like just as there's more uh queer ya happening there's also like that is changing too Mm -hmm. and there's all kinds of more stories about people of color and like people who are taking typical fantasy series and like reimagining them in different worlds and different cultures and like bringing all sorts of different perspectives that we haven't traditionally seen like ya is just a really exciting interesting place right now what what defines the genre YA? Like what f- all falls into it? Yeah, well, it's you know the it's it's broadening now. Mm-hmm. But I, anytime I think the the heroes are teenagers, um, and that's about that's about it. You know, yeah. if you, if they're too young of a teenager, then it might be middle grade. Um, but even like uh, like my book Ship It is c- considered upper YA because the main character Claire is in high school, but it's also told in dual perspective of the uh, main actor who she's shipping, Forrest, and he's a grown ass man. He's like twenty four or something like that. So technically, uh, it's like, but it's still considered YA. So, so within the within the YA like genre, they it can still be kind of broken up by ages. Yeah, a little more. Okay. Yeah, and there's like college YA now, okay. and it's getting into the world of new adult, which is like a genre that never really took off. Um, but I think a lot of people are interested in of like, it's like taking YA ideas and setting them in like, what if they're in college? What if they just got out of college? Like, can we still do these kinds of fun contemporary storytelling, mm-hmm. but with like 22 year olds, 25 year olds, what yeah. does that look like? It's like Saved by the Bell, the college years. Yeah, exactly. Basically. <laughs> it, is it more about than the characters in the stories versus the intended audience? Oh, for sure. Yeah, it is yeah. about the intended audience. Yes. Okay. Because like there's um stories about teenagers that are 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 for adults. Mm-hmm. Um and you like I, would you consider like just to pull something like everyone recognizes like Twilight to be intended for adults or No, guess, that's definitely why. That's, that's why. Okay. Yeah. I guess, yeah. I mean I guess it just those kind of big popular things brought in so many fans that you know, but the intent I guess would be for teens to be into that yeah i'm trying and failing to come up with an example now because i don't read a lot of like adult books (laughs) (laughs) but like a book you know like a book about like 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 the goldfinch maybe yeah like that's a good one okay like the goldfinch yeah that's totally adult literary fiction yeah even though it's about a A teenage boy for the most part Yeah. yeah okay um yeah because i remember um I'll admit it. I'm not a big reader. Okay. I used to be. I used to be. <laughs> I used to be. The internet has ruined my attention span. And I like, I used to read like a book a week. And yeah. now I just, I'm lucky to get through one in like a month. Yeah. It's bad. Anyway. Even though I, I, <laughs> I do love it. But one of, um, uh, queer 
YA book that I read was The Miseducation of Cameron Post. And I guess yeah. when I was reading it, I didn't really think of it as being a YA book, mm-hmm. um, though it is considered to yeah. be so. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, but it has crossover appeal. Like it definitely feels like it also works for adults. It yeah. doesn't feel really young. It feels like really, um, it's almost a literary book. It's yeah. very beautifully written. Yes. Uh, I I loved it so much. And I think something that's really cool about YA and queer YA is it's like it gives, um, if you're an adult, a chance to kind of like revisit that part of your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, because at the time that I was going through that, I was I didn't have books like Cameron Post to read yeah. Or, yeah. or anything that I could relate to of my experience of being a teenager. So even being an an adult now and being far away from it, I love stories of queer teens because it's like the most I can see myself in something. And it's it's, it's so refreshing and cool to know that kids have those kind of that, like any sort of like fictional or like pop cultural ways to see themselves now. Because like the only book I read when I was a teenager that I related to was Fried Green Tomatoes. And I related very heavily to Iggy Threadgood. (laughs) But like, but even then it's like we grew up essentially having to like pull our own little queer narratives out of something, even if it wasn't quite there. We would just sort of have to like twist it around in our heads to make it feel that way or like take some tiny little breadcrumb and think it led to something bigger. Because I don't think... Because in Fried Green Tomatoes, for example, it wasn't... It's gay. It's gay. Like, it's totally gay. But, like, the movie... Then the movie didn't really... Yeah, the movie really... The best friend treatment. Played it down. Come on. I don't know. It just... But the book I remember reading before I even knew I was gay, but I was a teenager and I remember being so obsessed with it. Obsessed with her story and her character and the things she was thinking. Yeah. And it's awesome now that you can actually write books for kids that, that that young people don't have to go digging for right. ways to relate to a character the way that we did. Yeah. It's pretty great. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know if you ever saw uh, Anna Green Gables, like when you were a kid, uh-uh. but like that was a book and then like a mini series yeah. that was like, she is so gay with her best friend. Yeah. It's it's wild how <laughs> like explicitly gay they are, but also she's ostensibly in love with like some boy named Gilbert, which yeah. come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I talked to all my straight friends and they're like, Gilbert Blythe is like a beautiful soul. Like I'm still in love with him to this day. I'm like, she was gay. Yeah. yeah. Her was a beard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> her, she called her best friend a bosom buddy. Oh, yeah. That's gay. It is super gay. Any mention of a bosom. Yeah. (laughs) Is Nancy Drew considered YA or were those like kids' books? It might have been like, yeah, kids' books are middle grade, but like she reads a super gay too. I always thought because she was way more interested in these crimes than her boyfriend. (laughs) And to me, Nickerson. Yeah, yeah. It's very gay to be way more interested in crime than the boy you're dating. And like mysteries. Yeah, Yeah. like he was always such an afterthought. And it was so easy for me to think like she's, I don't know. I was so into Nancy Drew growing up, but. And like th- looking back, it's like because I was convinced she was gay, and she yeah. had her a best friend who was a girl named George, right? Yes, but she's got to okay. be gay. Yes, yeah. <laughs> okay. See, like, George Red is very is gay to me. Remembering things you read as kids and be like, that was a fucking queer story. Yeah. Yes. But no one says it is. Yeah. It totally is. Yeah. I think there's something. Well, it, kind of going back to like something being inherently queer about YA and about it, but like 
precocious girls, yeah. like teens, always sort of read queer because they were interested in anything but boys. Yeah. It was like Harriet the Spy. Oh, yeah. Kind of queer. Oh, my like, God. I, she was totally gay. Like, yeah. she had no, and there's always like some little tag along boy best friend, like, that probably likes her, but she's just like more interested yeah. in like finding out who stole something from a museum or I don't know what the fuck. But um, what was another character I was thinking of? Alex Mack. Oh TV, my God. But yeah. That was gay. Alex yeah. Mack. I was for sure one of my first action. That had to be my first crush on yeah. TV. Like as far as how old I was. I mean, Mariska Hargitay on Lauren Ritz View when I was like 13 <laughs> or 14. But Alex Mack before that, she just came off as so fucking queer to me. She always dressed. Yeah. She had like tomboy style. Yeah. They always had that. Yeah. You know? They always had the tomboy style, but then they would sort of try to shoehorn in like a boy love interest. Yeah. And it, it felt hacky to me as a 10 year old. I was yeah. like, I don't believe this. Get out of here. Get Greg. out yeah. of here. If, if <laughs> that was nerd from her class. I if Alex Mack went to my high school, I would have flunked out. Like yeah. if, if there had been like a tomboyish oh girl my God. like yeah. that, that yeah. was like that cool. And yeah. That, and could it, melt into liquid metal. Yeah, totally. that would have been death. Yeah. <laughs> 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 move things with her mind. Yeah. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. So <laughs> did you uh, did you write fan fiction? Is that how you kind of got started in oh, yeah. writing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was my, my uh, introduction to writing. It was yeah. my introduction to the internet. Yeah. It was my introduction to meeting weird people on forums. Like, like you probably how old shouldn't were you? be talking to. Oh, I know <laughs> um, all about that. Like seventh grade, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I was, my first fandom was the X-Files. So I was like. Good choice. My God. Going in there Jillian and like. Anderson. Yeah. Talking about Jillian Anderson on forums and being like, isn't she amazing? She's just an amazing actor. Oh my God. I really love her. Isn't she incredible? She's just isn't so she the best? talented. She's yeah. just so talented. She's just so brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then like through that started reading like Mulder Scully fan fiction. Which is like, I think every queer person I know started off reading like some straight fan fiction and then slowly like discover that there's a whole world of gay fan fiction out there and being like, oh my God, you can ship Mulder with Skinner or Mulder <laughs> with Crycheck. And suddenly you're like, but that's not on the show. Yeah. But there's still like thousands of stories about them like mm -hmm. falling in love and having sex. And you're like, oh, it doesn't actually have to be canon in order to be able to write fan fiction about it, which opens up a world of possibilities mm -hmm. right and then you're unstoppable and then you can ship anyone with anyone and once you have that then you are free to follow your heart rather than following like whatever's in chris carter's heart which yeah i don't know why i have to listen to that guy yeah <laughs> <laughs> but what's true and what's not and so then 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 once you start reading gay fan fiction it was like it was like game over for me and mm -hmm. then i was only watching tv shows in order to be like okay what's my gay ship in this tv show okay 
See, that's all stuff I was definitely doing in my head. But I, I, I at that time didn't ha- didn't know that fan fiction existed. Had I done that, I would have been up all night reading stuff about like uh, Detective Olivia Benson and uh, District Attorney Alex Cabot. Yeah, <laughs> who I always shipped in my head. Yeah. Like shipping is you such and a everybody concept else. that everyone is always doing, especially yeah. queer people. And yeah. it's just like to have to to have seen that like in an actual like what was a what was the, one of the forums that you would go read it on? Do you remember like any of the older oh the well websites? on the X Files it was like all those weird like like Geo Cities pages yeah. and yeah. stuff like that. It like, <laughs> had like like the word art going yes. across like yeah, and like your cursor would be like sparkles. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you never knew what you were clicking on, and it like ruined your family's computer. Like it <laughs> yeah. slowed everything down. And my mom's like, "Why doesn't the computer work?" <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at weird websites. <laughs> Go away, mom. On your family's gateway desktop computer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, my 45 minutes isn't up yet. <laughs> Playing Sims earlier doesn't count. <laughs> that's not internet. That's CD-ROM. Yeah. God, I wish I could find my old Angel Fire websites that I made. Oh, my oh, yeah. God. Yeah, I definitely had a few of those. I felt like a magician. I'm like, look what I created. Oh, yeah. The possibilities were endless. <laughs> looked like garbage. Yeah. <laughs> looked like Lisa Frank threw up on my computer. Yeah. <laughs> weird little, like, a unicorn moving in the corner, yeah. just completely distracting. What, once I discovered... Really harsh colors, like yeah. blue with, yeah. like, red font. Yeah. It was, just, ugh, it was a, yeah. like a visual Why did I nightmare. think red would show up on anything? It yeah. doesn't. <laughs> It doesn't. Yeah, or like lime green on a black background yeah, just yeah. to make your eyes explode. Yeah. But once I discovered the custom cursors, then it was like over. Yeah. Once yeah. I was like, oh, I can have like oh my God. it be an airplane that yep. <laughs> it's no wonder leaving chemtrails like, around. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. I love it. If oh, you man. had followed through with that, you could be like a billionaire today. But totally. instead, man. you went and pursued something else. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I felt like I was really ahead of the curve for like a couple of years there mm-hmm. in terms of internet stuff. And then I'm like, man, I, I really I blew it. I should have bought yeah. all the domains when. Oh yeah. my God, had I yeah. known that? Or yeah. had like when, when, you ever think about like when Twitter first started and it oh, was yeah. just sort of like a, kind of like a beta version of it. Yeah. If you had gone on and just created fake email addresses and taken like Coca-Cola, yeah. MTV, like yeah. all these handles. Yeah. <laughs> And then, so, I don't know. I don't know if that's how it would have worked. But, like, I think it would have been hilarious to be approached by Coca-Cola and be like, we need this handle. Yeah. yeah. All right, Coke, how much? Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> I would I would have been 21 at the time and been like, uh, yeah, you can have it for $1,000. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Some executive just shakes Blew his pockets. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, what other fandoms were you writing about? Um, I love this. Yeah, what were like your big like <laughs> favorites? Okay, well, it w- first the X Files, and then after that, I got very into the West Wing. Um, <gasps> and it's weird now because I, these were like so dorky and like like so impossibly nerdy that I couldn't even talk about the West Wing at school. Like my friends wouldn't understand. And now I meet people every day who are like, the West Wing is amazing. Or like, if it's not amazing anymore, but it formed me as a person. Were mm-hmm. you shipping Stalker Channing with anybody? Oh, God. I love Stalker Channing. I'm shipping her with me. Yeah, I know. She's amazing. She's such a powerhouse in that. No, I was shipping Josh and Sam, like Rob Lowe and Bradley Whiffer. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was shipping. Um, and then um, 
I got, I remember my freshman year of college, like everyone getting together and everyone on my floor was like, we're all going to watch the pilot to house together, which I I mean, like network TV was a thing back then when like a whole floor would get together and watch a network TV pilot. Yeah. Watch Grey's Anatomy, like like, all in one person's room. Yeah. Routed (laughs) in there. Yeah. I don't know if, I don't think people do that anymore. No. Um, But we watched house and at the end of the house pilot, it was so clear to me that Hugh Laurie was in love with Wilson like it was obvious <laughs> yeah. and I remember like positing that idea <laughs> in the common room and everyone like no one else knowing what the fuck I was talking about <laughs> yeah and fully being like I'm going insane I'm going insane I'm the only one who sees this obvious two yeah. men are in love they're like yeah. in, this is your, in, in like, like a toxic codependent it's relationship your sixth sense yeah no exactly. one else sees it but you're like I see it I, I see, see it right it. in front of me <laughs> and I had spent all these years on like online forums where everyone was doing like gay shipping and I was at like this cool liberal arts college where I was like surely everyone Everyone will know what I'm talking about. And like no everyone else was like, Britta, that's not it's like not only is it not true, it's not cool because that's not what's real on the show. And I uh, like was they losing just, my They mind. were incapable of thinking beyond the show. Yeah. But all that's what you were seeing. Like the show was like this little rectangle in front of you, but like the the panoramic view yeah. they were missing out on. Yeah. And not and not only that, but maybe the show is wrong. Like yeah. maybe I'm right. And the right. show is wrong. But, like, to them, like, the show was sacrosanct. And, like, yeah. this yeah. pilot we watched in our common room, like, couldn't be touched. I was like, fuck that. Yeah. The sanctity of house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The show about a doctor who plays by his own rules. Yeah. Where's the rule book? Don't know. Chucked it out of the window a long time ago. He's rude and mean and has a cane. But it's okay because he's about brilliant. Show. Yeah. Okay. He always saves someone's life at the end. Yeah. Okay. You get to be mean if you're brilliant. Yeah. That's yeah. a good message. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Did you start publishing fanfic right away or was it kind of like you wrote it yeah. sort of more for yourself or? Yeah. Like in, in like high school and college, I was writing it and like writing on like yellow legal pads and like not putting it on the internet. Yeah. Um, but then like I published a little bit um, under a, uh, a, a username that I will not tell you. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, and I was like publishing a little bit like through the 2000s and stuff. But then once I got serious about TV writing, I was like, this is silly and for kids and not something that like real adults do. So I'm not going to write about that anymore. I'm like just going to write like my spec script of bones. <laughs> <laughs> Time to grow up. Yeah, this is serious. <laughs> Time to put on some business casual and go write about bones. Yeah. Which like it's crazy because like when you want to be a TV writer, you have to write these spec scripts, which is just like basically fan fiction, it's, but like yeah, dressed right? up. Yeah. And in the proper formatting. Yeah. It's like this is all the skills that I had been doing for 20 years. Yeah. So uh, so then I kind of stopped, but then I, I, when I finished film school and I was, like, thinking about... I had written a few scripts and I had, like, moved out to L.A. and I was trying to be a writer. And, and I had taken a few meetings. Like, I had a meeting with an agent who was, like, read a few scripts of mine. He was like, you know how to write, but, like, I just feel like there's not you in this, you know? And he was kind of a bro, so I, I think this was a line he gave to a lot of people who he just didn't want to represent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, like, I, I like, took it to heart. I was like, yeah. it, there's not me in this script. I have to write about me. And I was like, what, what's the thing that, like, is me? And I was like, gay fan fiction. Like, yeah. that's what I've been passionate about for 20 years. Yeah. And it's terrifying to think about writing a script and and walking around Hollywood being like, you want to write my script about gay fan fiction? <laughs> <laughs> and like having to explain to people what that is. And, and just like, you know, your first script when you first starting out is like you planting 
a flag in the sand and being like, this is my brand. This is who I am. When you think of gay fan fiction, I want you to think of Brittle Lundin. That's yeah. who you should think. That's like what you have to do if you're like trying to hawk yourself in, mm-hmm. in the industry. Yeah. And I was like just really uncomfortable with the idea of like this was going to be my brand. Yeah. But then once I started writing it, People were like coming out of the woodwork to talk to me, like you read gay, gay fan fiction or read gay fan fiction. <laughs> like, yeah, like yeah. assistants were like, "Oh my god, I think I found someone else who reads gay fan fiction." And it's like, like a whole community, a little like underground community, and there was so much shame and embarrassment around it for all of us because I think we all had been like that had that experience like in the college common room where people laughed at you for seeing something of that course. like wasn't there. And and this idea of like reading stories about gay people falling in love using is was like it shouldn't be shameful, but it was because we've all been taught that like that this is fanciful or uh-huh. too nerdy or something. Right, right. Um, and so through this, I've like met like lifelong friends who like through who who also are working in the industry and who also read fan fiction are also like super fans of different things. Um, and, and that's how eventually like my script got read by uh, my current agent and it was my sample script for getting on Riverdale. Um, it's now a book like that script, the one that I was like so terrified to write, like became not only my calling card and people do think about me when they think about gay fan fiction, but, uh, I mean, not everyone obviously in well, the no, world, I but do. just like, for you know, sure. like and a handful of yeah. 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 <laughs> but like it, it was something that really like opened up like, friendships for me because it was a way to like talk about this thing that I've been doing for so many years and like was afraid to talk about in polite company mm-hmm. yeah do you ever go to Clexicon? oh yeah okay yeah I, yeah I well I've been once okay um uh two years ago I went yeah. two years ago as well I, I that was my first time and that very much exposed me to like whoa queer fan fiction is like such a big deal yeah mm-hmm. and i was just kind of i don't know unaware of it for a while yeah um yeah i don't know how how i missed out on that because i was like very much into like any like i would watch south of nowhere which is objectively not a great show but it also had like two hot teen yeah. queer women on it yeah. so i'm like i'm watching I'm this yeah i'm in and would watch like anything that was out there but the um queer fan fiction was never something that that I got into and I'm not really sure why because I feel like it's something that would have been so me yeah oh yeah well oh, it's not yeah. too late it's yeah. not too late I'll send you some links after this yeah, yeah. please <laughs> yeah I don't know it's just like such a like creative just like all the people I met at Clexicon and like learning about their fandoms and all this stuff it was just like this whole world that I hadn't been exposed to yeah. that is awesome because it um, makes like this creative writing feel like very accessible for mm-hmm. for people mm-hmm. and um, and also just making more queer stories accessible in in a way that you know you don't have to wait for um, you know Paramount Pictures to right. <laughs> to greenlight something yeah to be able to have these like yeah experiences and stuff represented as far as fan fiction that's written about like characters on a show that's like a show currently or a movie or whatever how far can fan fiction go as far as getting published because it ha- would have to be like a copyright issue at some point right like yeah well, like 50 shades of gray <laughs> yeah i couldn't go publish fucking like uh brienne of tarth and daenerys targaryen fan fiction okay amazing without, i know <laughs> it's all in my head without 
you know, you have to get permission just, from HBO and like all these, you know. No, you change the names yeah, and okay. you change enough details that you could reasonably say that it's not Game of Thrones' world. It's not Westeros. It's okay. Easteros. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but that's what. <laughs> That'll go right over their heads. They'll never know. <laughs> that's what Fifty Shades of Grey, though. That was just Twilight fan fiction. Yeah. I mean, basically, yeah. Yeah. No, literally. No, literally. Oh, it was. really was? Literally. It was. know that? Yes. yes. No, it's literally Twilight fan God, fiction. Twilight just, has just produced piles of money for these two authors. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she she shaved the serial numbers off, changed the names, and yeah. and he's not a vampire anymore. And it's like, yeah. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So the elusive, like the guys, she just made it like a far more sexualized adult yeah. kind of like, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Is yeah. that is that, is that a is that common? Like, how did I not know that? Does she admit? Does uh, it, yeah, it's you know, no. James like say yeah. this yeah. is what I did? Yeah, and and there's a um, movie called Always. Gosh, is that what it's called? Always? That's like One Direction self-insert fan fiction where like um, there's like a, a regular girl and then oh, like a okay. guy who's like Harry Styles but not Harry Styles. Oh, I what? see. Okay. Yeah. I don't know about that. It's yeah. Like, just like the Target brand of whatever it is that you're... It's like there's Cheerios and then yeah. there's like Toastios. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like that kind of like naming convention. Yeah. 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 And right. it was like a huge bestseller and they made it into a movie that I think didn't do very well, which is maybe why you haven't heard of it. Yeah. But like the books are like massive. I would read Harry Styles mm-hmm. fan fiction. I would read your Brienne of Tarth fan fiction. Thank you. I'm so going to write it. I'm yeah. ready. <laughs> Just send me a link when it's done. <laughs> Brienne of Tarth is going to be great. <laughs> yeah. Brittany of Toledo. <laughs> Uh, how would you say that uh, YA is is changing in the past few years besides maybe getting more more queer and diverse and representative yeah it's exciting the the other thing that's changed is that I mean we all know that Hollywood is terrified of making anything original and so everything is an adaptation or um, a reboot of something else yeah um but what's exciting about YA is there that it's not the case there. So original stories are still uh, reigning mm-hmm. in in publishing, and partially I think that's because it's cheaper to publish a book than it is to make um, a, a TV show, which takes thousands of people and like millions of dollars to to make a movie or a TV show. Yeah, it's so expensive that they're terrified of doing anything that's like too outside. But like making a book is is pretty relatively cheap, so you can take all these chances. And like chances, quote unquote, being like publishing queer authors. Yeah. (laughs) But what's great (laughs) is that some of those then succeed and then they get to go on to um, become TV shows and movies. Not that those are inherently better, but they have a much bigger audience than books do. Like books actually don't sell very many copies at all. Yeah. Even the really popular ones don't really sell that many copies compared to um, like an average week on Riverdale for like episode 17 of you know, season three would get like around a million viewers. Yeah. And like books will never have never sell a million copies. Yeah. Um, so it's exciting. The exciting thing is to see this YA boom that's been happening in publishing translate to the bigger world, which is like film and TV um, and reach even more people. So all of these things were like publishers were like, we're going to take a chance on publishing like black authors, you know, yeah. like yeah. stories about Latino kids and stuff like that. And like and queer stories. And all of those are like trickling up as they become hits. And they're like, oh, wow, actually, people want these stories. They're trickling out to the greater world. And so we're seeing like YA movies being made and YA TV shows. And those like have queer characters or about like Love, Simon. Yeah. Like a mm-hmm. huge 
YA book became like a, a fairly good sized movie. Um, but that like then got to reach all these kids who wouldn't have otherwise like known about the book or had that book. So it's been really exciting to see that happen. And even like, I think it was like four years ago, I sat on a meeting with this, these guys who had a YA book that I really, really loved, like was a powerful book for me. And they were wanting to adapt it. And they were like, but we just, no one's buying YA right now. So I think this is going to have to be like, like it, it, like it wasn't even like a streaming Netflix or Hulu show. It was like, like one of those like services that's on your smart TV that you like don't click on because you don't know what's over there. Oh, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. You know, like not even Crackle, but like yeah. one of the others that you've never heard of Crucle. before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they were like, that. that's where they were headed with this book that I loved. And I was like, that's not good enough. Like this book is too good for, yeah. for I mean, no offense to the good people who work at Krugel. Um, <laughs> this, <laughs> this book deserves to be seen by people. Yeah. And they were like, there was, there's just no money for YA right now. And like cut what? to like the very next year, Love, Simon came out. Yeah. And then, you know, The Sun is also a star. And like all of these major b- movies are being made with like real stars in them. Uh, it's been really exciting. So that's the most exciting thing is like people are finally getting to lay eyes on these stories. Mm -hmm. And I think especially like for the queer community, there's something special about telling stories about young people because I think so many of us didn't get to have a typical teenage years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, In in many ways, it was like either delayed until your 20s because that's when you came out. Yep. Um, or it was, or you came out early and you had all sorts of like weird problems because of that. Yeah. So to be able to watch a movie about like a queer teenager who like is like, you know, fighting crime or like, mm-hmm. you know, taking down a dystopian government. Yeah. Or, um, or even just like going to high school and like facing everyday like high school problems. It's it feels bigger uh, when it's about queer people because like like the rest of us didn't necessarily have that experience. Yeah. It it was crazy when Love Simon came out that there was this big debate of people being like, "Do we even need this in oh 2018 or whatever year it came out?" And mm-hmm. uh, overwhelmingly, people were like, "Uh, yes. yeah, we do." <laughs> like that dismissive attitude is not necessary from like critics, you know, or or people in general who are just like, "I don't know." Yeah, they're like, "Isn't oh, the gay thing kind of over?" It's yeah, like, what? No, yeah. <laughs> we still have fucking. Ver- we have still have only a handful of. Isn't coming out of breeze and, and not yeah. scary at all when yeah. you're a teenager? <laughs> yeah. Uh, at, yeah. When when I saw that movie, I was like, "Holy shit!" Like this yeah. is so important and like so so relevant and needed and so and cool missing. for kids to have access yeah. to. Yeah, like that. There was a, a hole that that filled, and um. Like you can never have enough of those stories. Right. Yeah, totally. And I might be biased, but I think yeah. you never, never have enough queer stories. It's true, especially like that. You'll never have as many as there's as there are straight stories. Oh yeah, they never. Can, they can only make queer TV and movies for the next five years and still not have a fucking fraction of the stories that are out there about straight people. So for sure, yeah. It's and fine. like Love Simon is an easy first movie to make because it's about like. Um, like an affluent white, mm-hmm. right, skinny cis, cis boy, boy, yeah, right, um, like from the suburbs, you know. So it's he's like like the easiest version of that, the, or the most like the safest 
yeah. quote unquote version of that story. But then once you make that, then you can start doing like the trans stories or the mm-hmm. stories about God forbid women or yeah. <laughs> you know people of color or all the you're taking it too far. Yeah. Are you crazy because <laughs> ultimately yeah. this whole thing is about getting a few executives in a room to agree to something. Yeah, who yeah. are probably going to be straight men. Yeah, so. Yeah. You do have to have kind of the introductory queer story of like, here's here's for you guys a palatable yeah. main character. Yeah. You yeah. know, and then go from there. Yeah. And I mean, I, I don't know the full story, but even that just made me think of like the show, The Bisexual, how the character of her roommate, I feel like it was some executive being like, okay, but we need at least once this straight man in here to, to mm-hmm. be a hero, <laughs> to like, let's focus God. on him and what's going on in his life, even though it's not important to the story right. whatsoever. <laughs> like you might as well name that character after that executive. Yeah. yeah. He's like, we should name him Steve. And you're like, well, okay, Steve. Yeah. But. <laughs> it's not um, me. I'm just saying you should name him Steve. <laughs> so ship it. You mentioned it was a, originally a, a features yeah. script. And then what were the, what was the process like for turning that into a book? Um, the cool thing about books is that, uh, for someone who maybe like hasn't read a book in a while like you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Does it have pictures? I've yeah. read a book somewhat recently. I just don't read them as often as yeah. I used to. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I get it because before I published my book, I was like not reading that many books myself. And then, uh, because the problem is podcasts. Y'all yes. came in and yep. like we're so easy to listen to. And, and then, you can multitask while doing it. Yeah. I'm a big multitasker and you Love can't it. multitask while you can reading. You do it on your way to work. It's yeah. Like, if you're driving or if you're taking yeah. transportation of some sort. Yeah. So now I listen to a lot of audiobooks. So you can multitask while listening to an audiobook. I do. But yeah. it means you'll have to cut back on your podcast listening. I don't count audiobooks I listen to. You don't count those as books? I don't oh, count that should. as like reading a book. Well. Okay. I mean, I, I, mean, I do. I but. think you can say I if someone asks you, like, oh, did you read The Goldfinch? You could say yes, yes. even if you listen to it on audiobook. Because you yeah. still consumed the words. Yeah. You could say, I consumed yeah. The Goldfinch. I consumed it. I, I consumed I, Boy Erased. I boiled it and that I ate it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, you were I saying. I don't remember what we were talking uh, about. Going from the, the feature to writing a book. Oh, yeah. The cool thing yeah. about books is that they're longer than features. And so you yes. get. It's, it felt luxurious after writing so concisely for so long to be able to just get Expand. into a character's mm-hmm. head and really like live in those scenes and describe that world. It was really cool, especially after writing on Riverdale for a little while. Like if you've seen an episode of Riverdale, you know that it goes like lickety split. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like 10 episodes of television crammed into one episode. Is lickety split the name of a drug on <laughs> Coming up next. Yeah. Archie tries lickety split. <laughs> what, are, what is it? Jingle jangle? Is that jingle the... jangle? And then um, what was those it? are drug names in Riverdale? I just know that jingle jangle is a drug in Riverdale. Oh, that's great. And then the next season we had another one, which I forget now. Pop. Oh, it was like Pop Rocks, but it was fake Pop Rocks. Yeah. Um, yeah, we we were calling it. We were like, "What do we call this name?" And then Roberto was like, "Jingle Jangle." And then we called it Jingle Jangle for like three days or something. And then finally, someone was like, "Are we really calling it Jingle Jangle?" Like we all thought it was just like a temp name. Yeah, I love it. And then he's like, "No, we're really calling it Jingle Jangle." And we couldn't like say it without laughing That's for like so the funny. first week. That's what's great about it. It's it's so that. ridiculous, yeah. but also perfect it's like really like a really dark drug story where like drug heads going after the jingle jangle dealer yeah yeah <laughs> like a cop corners a guy like hey yeah. you're the one giving all the kids jingle jangle <laughs> yeah. 
trying to be all tough. Yeah. yeah. I have a coworker who calls cocaine booger sugar. So no. I know. <laughs> it's so bad. It's such a silly word. Like it's a silly term to apply to like a sugar. serious hard drug. Yeah. yeah. It makes it seem less like, yeah. I don't know. I think he just calls it that just for fun. Yeah. But yeah, you can call drugs funny names. Yeah. Doesn't make them any less dangerous, kids. Don't do drugs. Yeah. <laughs> don't do drugs. Don't get into lickety split. Yeah. <laughs> lickety split's good. <laughs> lickety split's just for lesbians. Yeah. <laughs> That's the name of a new gay bar in LA. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I'm opening it now. That actually is lickety a good name right? for, a, for a lesbian bar. Yeah. Oh my God. Somebody get on that. Yeah. I would go to lickety split. I mean, split. the merch alone. Like, I'm already envisioning yeah. like some really cool matchbooks and like t shirts and stuff. <laughs> I'm going to get on that. We're going to make some lickety split merch <laughs> for the imaginary gay bar <laughs> that I want to open one day. Yeah. Great. Noted. All right. What do you think are some, some common misconceptions about YA? Um, I feel like a lot of people think that it's um, less serious in some way than adult fiction or, or like less like capital I important. Yeah. You know, it's, they're not like, it's not real literature, not the way that like, you know, Donna Tartt is writing literature or whatever. Yeah. It's like, it's just for kids. Yeah. Um, and I don't know where that comes from. I think partially it's it's just assuming that teenagers uh, can't consume books at the same, like, intelligence level as, like, real adults can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And partially I wonder if there's, like, some baked-in sexism to that because a lot of YA yep. is driven by women yeah. and consumed by teenage girls. For sure. Um, and we know the world loves and respects teenage girls. Oh, yeah. Right. And everything that teenage girls are into is all, yeah. all automatically assigned yeah. a certain level of gravitas. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. It, it goes to this, like, guilty pleasure yep. place that even for a while I was guilty of that. Like, I used to say that Pretty Little Liars was a guilty pleasure. And I'm like, why am I calling something that I honestly enjoy watching a guilty pleasure just because I think it's like not meant for me or that it's, you know, this or that. And I feel like a lot of YA, especially like as an adult Mm -hmm. is like, Ooh, I can't tell anybody that I Mm -hmm. actually enjoyed reading this or this is just like a fun read. Particularly anything young girls are into is silly and stupid. Like it's the same way with pop music. Like we would talk about that with Sir Baby Girl where pop music has always been like, you know, like the way people talk about Britney Spears in the early 2000s yeah. is the same way that people might talk about YA now because yeah. it's a thing enjoyed by young people. So therefore, it must be stupid candy versus yeah. like a serious, you know, yeah. literature, like yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. It's so unfair. Like, like, like when Harry Styles is. Uh, solo album came out not to make this about my interests again but uh, when Harry Styles solo it's album came out interest. all these like music men being like it's actually good yeah, yeah. <laughs> being like oh, thank you what's that actually doing in there right. yeah. why it's, did you assume like he's like mega popular good like yeah like, what do you mean he's yeah he's like a global star yeah like, he's been touring of course it's good of course, yeah he knows what he's doing yeah yeah we've been indulging Moby for years <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Because those same guys would fawn over a Moby album for sure. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think it all kind of goes back to the fact that there are just too many cis white male voices in in critique in general. You know, like, why are the people who have been the 
taste masters for the entire for f- entire generations for forever been these like white straight men. They're the ones criticizing movies and criticizing music and books and TV yeah. and everything. And I think maybe maybe as that changes, yeah, the you know, do you think do you feel like a changing landscape of critics and you know writers who write about TV movies music. Do you, do you think when, when that demographic changes, there might be a little more seriousness assigned to YA? Yeah, for sure. And I think that this YA boom we're in now is helping to change that as well because people kind of can't help. It's becoming such a cultural force. Mm-hmm. And it's in the infancy of that, but it's coming. Um, as people are forced to contend with that, they're sort of forced to realize like, oh, oh maybe these books actually are good. <laughs> actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to give my stamp of approval. Yeah. It's like, like, you know, a hundred thousand teenagers can't be wrong. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So before we move on to our listener question, because we do have to wrap up, what are some of your favorite YA books or what would you recommend to our listeners? Um, I mean, there's so many exciting authors doing queer YA right now, but some of my favorites are Amy Spaulding, who wrote a book called The Summer of Jordi Perez, which is about, like, this girl who's, like, in, uh, uh, like does plus-size fashion and, like, falls in love with the kind of, like, soft butch uh, photographer at her, who, like, does the photography oh for her blog, Jordi I'm Perez. Whoa, I'm hooked. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, like, great. Like, Amy does great rom-coms that, like, are all about, like, her love interests always have, like, amazing hair, and so Jordi Perez has amazing hair. Um, a lot of the, um, a lot of the YA, I think, uh, features like, like femme people. So it's exciting for me when I see like more mask mm-hmm. or yeah. butch, uh, main characters. And so for sure, a book called Girl Man's Up by Emmy Gerard, which is all about this girl sort of coming to terms with like her sort of like masculine of center identity and coming to terms with some of the like internalized misogyny that she's dealt with and like how her best male friends are all toxic in a way. And like understanding that while falling in love with a girl for the first time was like a really powerful book for me um, to read. And I, I think it doesn't really get the respect it, it should or like the attention it should. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, just there's like amazing books. I would also recommend Dear Rachel Maddow by Adrian Kisner, which oh. is about like a girl who becomes like a political leader in her high school by writing a bunch of emails to Rachel Maddow. Wow. Um, and then I like I will awesome. also just shout out Sarah Farazan, Nina LaCour, Jen Wild, um, and Amina May Safi, who are all writing you can go back and like rewind mm-hmm. that and like go listen and write those yeah. names down because they're all yes. doing great work in this area. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Okay, our listener question for today. A friend of mine recently asked me to be in her wedding. She was in my wedding last year as well. She is calling the people on her side butch maids. Therefore, I am the butch maid of honor. That is a lot. I don't want to be a butch maid, let alone a butch maid of honor. I don't agree with all of the labels her and her fiance put on themselves. I also strongly dislike her soon-to-be wife. I want to say no oh. to butch maid of honor, but how? <laughs> she doesn't have many friends as it is, and I know if I won't do it, no one else would step up. Also, oh their colors are gold and navy. I would be in a gold <laughs> bow tie. There's a lot going on here, uh, and... 
There is a lot going on here. First of all, you have a couple different things here. You don't like your friend's soon to be wife. That seems like it should have been maybe in a different email. Um, <laughs> that seems like that's, the biggest That's one. kind of a problem, but... But what can you do? What are you going to do? You can't... Re- you know, know, if they want to get married with, like, the Notre Dame football colors, then <laughs> I guess... Who, okay. who cares? Nobody nobody likes what they have to wear to no somebody likes, else's... As oh. someone who's been a bridesmaid seven yeah. times and has worn dresses in every single Ooh. one of them, the last one was, like, over five years ago, but... I would never do that now, but like I have, I've essentially been in a costume or drag for other people's weddings. Yeah. And almost all of them have been lukewarm at best about the people they were marrying. And like, it's just, it's something uh, you do. It's someone else. You got to suck it up. I know it sucks, but it's like that whole, the whole like wedding industrial complex about, and then the kind of patriarchal nation notion of having these like, bridesmaids and groomsmen and like how do we adapt that for queerness you know and that's kind of the cool part about queer people getting married is we can make our own decisions about that kind of stuff there's no one telling us like well this is how weddings are supposed to go because our weddings are inherently like this is kind of new for all of us yeah um i kind of like that she's calling them butch maids i I mean mean, you don't if i i definitely can see why you don't like it um but it's also like it's not your wedding. I'm sorry. Yeah, like, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't identify. Sucks, but. I don't identify as being butch. But if somebody, if you know, a good friend of mine was like, "Will you be my butch maid?" I'm like, "Sure, call me, yeah, call me call butch maid, call I me mean, a butch maid." I don't care. Like, no matter just, what, <laughs> it's going to be an annoying affair. Like being in someone's wedding is just not great. Yeah, in in, in certain parts of your life, I think now as you get older, it's a little. Maybe it's a little better. I've been in weddings where I was one of 12 bridesmaids. Oh, my God. I know. And, uh, it, it like, or I've been in some where I'm one of, like, four, and it, everything went smoothly, and I didn't have to do a lot of stuff, you know? Or I've been in some that are just, like, a ridiculous amount of, um, you know, events you have to attend and like yeah. a lot of money you have to spend. It's just, the whole thing is, the whole thing is bullshit. I'm totally on your side here. I, I agree. But it, but it's, it's kind of one of those things where it's like everybody deals with this. Everyone deals with this kind of thing when you're in someone else's wedding. Yeah. You know, what do you think, Britta? Yeah. I, I think it's a pain in the ass. Um, and you kind of have to suck it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I totally feel for you. I totally feel for you, but yeah. I don't know if there's anything you can do about this. Yeah. If, if, she, if she was in your wedding, like yeah. uh, a friend who was in my wedding is getting married uh, next month on a Wednesday Wow. on the other <laughs> side of the country. And I wasn't thrilled, but I'm going and right. I'm going to spend a lot of money. Of course. That I don't want to spend. I feel like there are going to be a lot of Republicans there. Oh, uh, God. My God. But. <laughs> I I don't know. I don't know what to expect, but uh, but I'm going because she yeah. was in my wedding and she went it's through. A, it's sort of an unspoken. You just yeah. have to do it. You do it. I think it, it also depends on how close you are with this person uh-huh. because you could back out and then and just know that there may be social ramifications for that with yeah. your yeah. friendship. If, if you sure. want this person out of your life, if you're like, hey, oh, I'm ready to to, to cut ties. Well, n- yeah. Now th- yeah. this is the but time. But this is a yeah. friend that you that you are happy being friends with, I think you just got to kind of go through the motions for their one, for their day and for their special thing. And, and it, you know, you can just, uh, laugh about it later with yeah. your, your wife, your, or your wife. friends. And wear you that bow tie like, to bed. Remember that fucking blue and gold bow tie I had to wear? You know, like I think as long as, as far as like being in someone else's wedding, I think as long as you're the, per- the person whose wedding you're in, your friend is not expecting you to wear something that would, 
deeply kind of like go against the grain of who you are. Like mm-hmm. at this point in my life, if someone asked me to wear a dress in their wedding, I would say, I would have to say no, because yeah. that's not, that's, that to me is like, it's just, it's, it would just make my brain go haywire. I just don't want to do it. But if it's just, you know, if she's not asking you to do anything that compromises your sense of like self worth or self like identity, yeah, then that, you just got to wear the ugly colors. That, that's a good point. I didn't really think of it in, in that way because I'm comfortable in, in a dress, um, uh-huh. or a suit, but you would never think that like, uh, that a woman would object to right. being in a suit because it's a lot more, uh, normal for us to be able to do either or, but yeah. like if it were the other way around oh and somebody God. who wouldn't want to wear like, yeah, like yeah. you, like I would not, I, I just, I couldn't I would, do it. And yeah. someone who's friends enough with me to ask me to be at their wedding wouldn't ask of me of wouldn't ask me to do that now. Yeah. But again, I just think that, you know, as far as this goes with your friend, I think you just got to deal with it. Yeah. Be, be a good friend and get through the night. Hopefully there'll be, hopefully it's like an open bar situation. Oh yeah. <laughs> Keep us posted. I want to know yeah, how this one turns how this out. Goes. And if you want to send us a photo of the blue and gold, yeah, please you can. can. Yeah. But <laughs> we're not demanding it, but you can. <laughs> Britta, how can people find you online and see what you're up to and buy your book? Um, I'm on uh, Britta Shipsit uh, on Twitter and yes. Britta underscore Lundin on Instagram because someone else stole it. What? I, she's fine. It's her name and she lives in Missouri and I hope she's doing well. I hope she's listening. Um, <laughs> if she ever wanted to give that URL to me like that would be fine. Uh-huh. But, you know, I'm not, <laughs> not going to require it. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I have another book coming out um, next year and it's going to be about, about five girls who join their high school football team and sort of like disrupt the culture Ooh. from the inside out. This um, is amazing. As someone who watched Little Giants constantly as a kid and identified yeah. with the little girl. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So that's fun. Cool. Uh, and you can follow us at Diking Out on all social media. You can get extra content and episodes by going to patreon.com slash Diking Out. You can follow me personally at TGI Carolyn. And I'm at the Sarah York. And thank you so much for uh, listening to this episode and dike out with us again next week. Bye. Bye. Dike out. Yay. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.